Thank you for tuning into Healing Rays. In this video, we respond to a discussion between Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter about a Harriet Tubman statue commissioned in Philadelphia that was awarded to a white artist. Lowry and McWhorter critique responses from some Black people who say that Black Americans should be the one to tell their own stories. Is the story of Harriet Tubman only a Black story, or should it be owned by all Americans as American history? Is it possible to tap into a common humanity whereby we can tell each other's stories in an authentic, compelling way? Has enough trust been built with the Black community such that white creatives can tell Black stories through public works of art? And what does it look like for such trust to be built? Let's get to those conversations now. Enjoy. In viewing that clip, what resonated with you? So in viewing the clip, what resonated with me is, are both sides of that tension, right? So you have on one side, people saying, this is a part, part of our cultural heritage. It's a part, not just of our cultural heritage, but a a, a key figure within the, the, the narrative, the story of, of black people in America um which carries with it all sorts of feelings right so that's on one side um and so it feels oh, some words you used were in our la in one of our previous conversations it feels in bad taste right um to not uh, appreciate the feelings that members of the black community would have that's one side and right americans are no strangers to bad taste yeah and there's and there's the other side of me that says um, that resonates with what what Lowry and McWhorter said in terms of is is this not something that we actually would appreciate in a previous time? The fact that a white person would step up and um, create something as a as a monument to a figure that meant a lot to the black community for all sorts of reasons, right? Um, so I can understand both of those both of those feelings um, and appreciate and, and appreciate where they're coming from. I don't know how to resolve the the tension between that, but those are things that hit me. Black people have had these memorials to slavery before, right? And I do, and I'm being glib for a reason. So I because I watch a lot of documentaries, and I was watching one by this British historian talking about the U.S. Civil War and has it really ever ended. And in one of the segments of her documentary, she featured the memorial statue to Lincoln, not the one at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., but another one in another city that's much smaller. And this is supposed to be, you know, the great communicator, the great whoever, and he's liberated these people. It shows Lincoln standing erect, upright, with one hand raised like this, let's say his left, his hand down like this, his right, in a domed fashion, yeah. over the head of a black man who's crouching down to him in chains. Yeah. And we're like, okay, so this is some memorial to this great liberating and this great liberation. 
However, you're presenting the people who were very instrumental in fighting for their own freedom. So we weren't just sitting on farms like, okay, we were gonna be free. We were literally out there fighting with white people for our own freedom, fleeing from the South and go joining Union troops to, to free ourselves. We, we earned our freedom, which is why it incenses me when people say we just sit around and we're not, we're not worthy. We get all this special treatment. Nobody sat around and got shit. We earned it. We fought for it. Number one. Number two, when you say white person's going to create a memorial of Harriet Tubman, one has to wonder, and I like alliteration. You'll hear that a lot in my conversation. One has to wonder, is this going to be another Lincoln situation? with his hand over a black man going, ooh, free me, like this. So I understand the group of people that, that had criticism, feeling that, that that you know commission should have gone to an African-American artist. I feel there are two conversations at work at here, and one influences the other. The first conversation is one of sentimentality. How do you feel about this non-African-American person receiving this commission and doing this statue. And then there's a contextual conversation with respect to art. Because I have to wonder, I wonder a few things. Number one, do people know how art is created and, and, how, uh, and how it's analyzed, how critics analyze art, number one. And number two, do they know how artists you know, grow into, evolve into successful careers? So let's tackle the first one first. So how art is created and analyzed. So, and after having taken our art history course in the Louvre, I have a formal education in this. So you have the subject matter and you have the artist and you have the artist's relationship to that subject matter. And when you look at the acts of Harriet Tubman and what she did, she was literally reminding me a lot of the Holocaust actually, as I meditated and reflected on this. She was literally smuggling people out of slavery into the land of freedom, coming and going several, many, many, many times many, many times. Not only is that a brave and heroic act, when you think about it, and I think, and, and dear friend, I think of you, because there, that means there are African-Americans who are alive today, whose ancestors were a part of that smuggling act, whose lineage begat, and they didn't necessarily die as they could have in slavery, because Harriet had the courage to, Ms. Tubman had the courage to smuggle them out. There are yeah. people, there, there are literally, that, that all of that is true. So that means there are African-Americans today who can trace their existence in Canada, maybe in some of the Northern United States states, because, wow, my relative was smuggled out through the bravery and their, number one, their fearlessness and the bravery of Harriet Tubman. And when you, when you look at it in that context, the relationship to the subject, the acts in the life of Harriet Tubman, that's our subject, with vis-a-vis -vis Black people is stronger probably from an African-American artist than it would be from a white artist. So I hear their critique and I hear their sentiment because number one, because of that alone, when you look at what was done and who it was impacted and that some African-American people would be the direct beneficiaries of that act. Number two, the career of an artist. Art is all populated and evolves through patronage, right? You need someone to take up your, to become your patron, to take up your cause, to champion your work. When you do that, they're doing what? My econ degree, creating a marketplace for your work, especially if you're not picked up by the gallery system. So we all know about the glamorous galleries in New York, all over in the parties and dealing wheelie dealing art. 
uh, from what I hear, I am not an artist, I work in tech, but I hear it's especially difficult for artists of color, especially black ones, to get picked up via that system. And this is an amazingly public work who your name is gonna be on this and everyone's gonna know it. So this is a huge opportunity to grow and evolve and exposure, since I'm looking for people to watch my podcast, as an artist, right? And I just inject humor in the things because it's how I deal with pain. Yeah, yeah. But to, as an artist, right? And because of that, I'm like, I hear these people. It would have been great for the commission to be won by an African-American artist and think of the exposure that would have given them. However, I do hear the counter argument because we do live in a world we're trying to push toward equality. And you can't necessarily say white folks don't apply, even though that was said to us for years. Yeah. And everyone wants to move toward this world of you know, meritocracy, meaning the best one won out. For me personally, my feeling is I would have liked to have seen it done by a Black artist for all the reasons I've stated before. Yeah. However, if you're going to move toward a world of egalitarianism, assuming that the process was egalitarian, right. then you have to reconcile that sometimes there will be major works that contribute to African, to an awareness of African-American culture that are not done by African-American people. Yeah. But for me, I would want to see the African-American artists get the commission and the interesting things that person would have done given the bravery of the act. I mean, she, I mean, when you read that, because I haven't read the biography, but there's an incredible biography of the life of Harriet Tubman. And she was like the best spy in the US has ever had. The amount of time she came and went. I mean, and them white folks were trying to catch her and she couldn't get her, right? <laughs> couldn't get her. Now yeah. imagine the sense of pride I feel in that. And now we're talking about me, Andre Tubman. I feel in that, that here you are, this, this woman was, literally Wonder Woman against this in this powerful crushing institution. And how many times did she evade capture and she rescued families and got them to freedom? Now it was up to them to choose what that freedom would look like, et cetera. That's yeah. where she she transitioned after that. But she said, I'm gonna, this is not right. And I will not stand for what is not right. And she literally put her life in harm's way so that now generations of those people who were rescued who were who escaped can now live and thrive in whatever lives that they're doing right now. Yeah. 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 So I can I can understand and empathize with the same that. way your grandfather thrived when he had children and my dear friend Todd was born. All of that that happened, I told you this before, and I really want you to get this because I really understand what Hitler was was going after. He was trying to literally eradicate the planet of Jews so that they literally would not or barely exist anymore. That means you would have, the whole point was that so that you wouldn't be born. The whole point yeah. of some of this stuff is so that maybe I wouldn't be born. Or if I were born, I would be born into such crushing an institution that I had no agency. Yeah. And because of these brave people, the, the people in your grandfather's life in American slavery context, this talk of Harriet Tubman, we are privileged to exist. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, I relate to all that, Andre. I relate all to all of it. Um, let me let me share, let me share the less personal first, because it's um because I just want to do a quick agreement with the idea of the process, right? Um, and I want to relate it to context. So you said, you know, you gave the example of this this Abraham Lincoln memorial that that lacked context, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, I mean I can 
I think I might have seen the it. Black man, the black man is like it. this. So Lincoln's hand is over him and the black man is like this looking up. Yeah. Yeah. And so if the process of creating that memorial at the very least had black voices. No, no black voices advocated for a diminutive position like that. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying, Andre. Listen, hear right. me out. If in the in the choosing of what the memorial was going to be or how it was going to look, there were black voices being consulted, you have to imagine that such a mo monument was not created, right? Mm -hmm. That was created without context. And even if, full stop, that was created without context. And at the very least, having people who could provide context there in in informing what a memorial could and should look like is important. And of course, the the larger piece that you're saying is someone who had the experience of being liberated would be have a, a, a closer relationship to what was shared and therefore is more likely to be uh, attentive, attuned to context. So I, I hear all that. So bringing in that to process, process should allow for for clear context to be to inform the decision. I'm on a hundred percent agreement. I don't know what the process was in Philadelphia, but I am a hundred percent agreement around that. Um, and what I'll say is in in kind of the more personal vein, and this gets to the one of the larger questions that 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 you know Glenn Lowry and John McCorder raised is 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 the story of Harriet Tubman only black history? But here, no, it's American history, but we were the beneficiaries of it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not, That's what I mean I'm, by just the saying, I'm just raising their question and, and, and oh, so, because I yeah. have an answer for it. <laughs> yeah. So it is American history, but there's a particular strong relationship, which you share. She wasn't and, liberating white folks. She was liberating us. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear that. And, and, and the thing is, That monument is going to send messages through time, right? Not to just present day folks. It's going to send messages through time and not to just black people. It will send to black people, which is why context is important, but it'll also send to other people. Let me let me share some personal, well, a conversation we had in the past that relates as well as some personal relationship. Landon, in sharing his story of how he learned about history generally and about black history, talked about these biographies that he read. And the way that he talked about Harriet Tubman in particular, he talked about Jackie Robinson, he talked about others. You could just see that the story of Harriet Tubman in particular made a profound impact on him, that that was something that resonated deeply with him. I say this because he, he's never going to have the relationship to Harriet Tubman that Black people have because he was never the beneficiary in the same intimate way based on a, a, a deeply troubled and painful history. And I get all that. There are tons of people I've admired through history that have zero to do with African-American culture. I'm just sharing that there is going to be a relationship. Oh, I, held, I held a memorial for Queen Elizabeth II when she <laughs> died. This black man held a memorial. All of, when, when the queen died, all of my friends started texting me, Andre, are you okay? I said, I'm okay. Yeah, they, I love their queen. I am not a British citizen, no way connected to that country. But yeah. I admire what Her Majesty tried to navigate. I say all this to say is I understand what you're the argument you're bringing using Landon yeah. as the example. Yeah, and I, let, let me be even stronger and more intimate about that. 
I don't know if you know this about my grandmother. When she was put into work camps in her local town, first of all, they obliterated her and other others' families, and then they were put to work. Mm -hmm. um, and she happened to strike up a relationship. And I don't mean an intimate relationship. I mean, a, a, a you know, friendship or relationship with some of the guards. Some of the guards took a liking to her mm -hmm. and they offered her a way out to escape. And she had formed a relationship or at least, well, I'm assuming she had a relationship, but also developed a fondness for a mother-daughter, mm -hmm. maybe because she lost her mother, right? And she yearned for that and saw this, this, this relationship still there and, and having a future. She told the guards she wouldn't go unless they went with her. Mm -hmm. She put, not in the same way that Harriet Tubman did, but put her life at stake for the rescue of another Jewish family, in this That's case, mother. When she escaped, which was a troubled escape, so she, so they, they, they connected her and this mother and daughter with people on, I'm assuming, a wagon, um, and they were going to some town that was a safe haven. Um, they at some point got off the wagon because they said it was a bathroom break, and they just took all of their stuff. Mm. Now, I don't know if the guards were in on that. Um, or if it was just the guards who tricked, I mean, the, the drivers who tricked, they the were guards. left in the wilderness. Alone. They were left in the middle of nowhere none with none of their back. stuff, none wow. of their stuff. Um, they somehow made their way to this town and she went searching everywhere for mm -hmm. anything of that got stolen. And the only thing she could find, you could imagine the feeling that she had, that she expressed when she shared this with me, or even the moment itself was the one picture that she had of her mother and father, mm. which was probably the most important thing in there, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about symbols, right? There happened to be a kind of underground railroad that was started in that town where mm -hmm. they would send people like my grandmother and she became part of it mm -hmm. with a little piece of paper that was the, the ticket for another family who was in mm -hmm. a town that mm -hmm. was under threat of the Nazis coming to liquidate. Um, and so people from this town would go, go to a town, give this ticket, take the family and bring them to, to, mm -hmm. the, to mm -hmm. this, this town where she, where she also escaped to. And she mm -hmm. did that. Um, and I can tell you more about the, the, the story there and the, the dangers and whatnot. This is all to say that, that I particularly feel a strong relationship to a story like a Harriet Tubman, right? Because it, it connects me to, to my grandmother's story and to my grandmother's own courage, right? I'm just bringing- Would this... you trust a non-Jew to tell your grandmother's story? Like, and, and I was about to like, say if that. I, like, well, I guess I couldn't say, I was about to say, if I made a movie of your grandparents' life, you would trust me with that. This is a broad friendship. Yeah. But, you know, like, I mean, because that's, I didn't know, I did not know that about your grandmother. Thank you for sharing it. It's incredibly apropos. And, and and so my question is like, would you trust someone who was not a direct beneficiary to, you know, to tell that story? Because as Black people, we don't necessarily have that trust. And when have white people ever built work to build that trust with us where we could hand it off to? So no, I, I, my heart is incredibly closed to this concept. It really yeah. is. And, and I guess mine is just, mine is just more open. If I saw, and this is again, where process, I guess, matters if i saw that there was some creation of let's say my grandmother's story i would just be happy that it was out there 
if it was done in a way that was compelling and true to form, um, let me give you let me give you a couple examples. I think we should write a screenplay about your grandmother. Like, I, 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 that's a movie in and of itself that people need. My to grandmother read. was. I mean, both my grandparents were married. My grandmother. I mean, my grandmother. I mean, this is a little more in the area of of love, but when she, after she met my grandfather, who was selling, where things, did they meet? They met. They met in the Ukraine, which was not the Ukraine at that time. But that's but yeah. I, yeah. Um, so my grand my grandfather was selling on the black market because he couldn't do anything else, right? So he's selling mm -hmm. like soap and things like that. Uh, one of the towns where he sold was my grandmother's town, and that's how they met each other. They were introduced. They met each other, fell in love. My grandfather was was put in prison um because because of selling on the black market um and he tells this story of coming to my grandmother's town and where my grandmother lived they were like he was going to see her and they it was surrounded by people who were ready to put him in jail oh wow so she, she he gets put in jail she um i don't know how she got this job decides that she's gonna go sweep the floors in the prison so that she could see my grandfather and sneak him food so that he doesn't starve in there. So she goes, takes bread, whatever, doing, doing the sneaks some yeah. food, doing the, the yeah. sweeping. Um, and at some point, I guess that got old. Your mother knows this about her parents. I actually, she, the, she's the one, she told me this story. Uh, oh, your mom told stories. me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I this told is an incredible thing to hear. Yeah. So she, at some point advocates for to the guards to, for them to let go of to 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 let my grandfather out early release early release, early release and they say no mm. and she says then put me in there with him and they said we'll let him out right Your grandmother so, was ride or die she, she was, was ride or die. she was so anyway mr moisha <laughs> so my point is like I it's okay, I'm, Todd. You can let the tears come. I, I'm a, I, I, I am I, I'm I'm never gonna have the relationship that you have to Harriet Tubman, right? Mm -hmm. Landon is never gonna have the relationship you have, or probably not the relationship I have, because I at least have an analogous story. Now, maybe he does. I don't know what his story is. Mm -hmm. But the point is, and the point I think they're that the Glenn Lowry and, and J, John McWhorter are trying to make is can't we touch into a common humanity? Is it is is that is that possible to touch into a common humanity and appreciate that? And let me give you some examples because I I really like I was really pondering this heavily and I started to think what are the things that made a difference to me in thinking about racial relationships? Um, one of them is in the America context and one of them is outside the American context. So one of them I think I've shared with you before. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans, right? I don't know if you've seen the movie, but the basic the basic storyline of the movie is forced integration in the South. It's a true story, by the way. Forced integration in the South. This white football, previously white football team with previously white coach, okay, has to be integrated as part of the integration. So you have the white players and the black players, plus they get a black coach, and a white assistant coach who was one of the previous coaches, yeah? Um, and so this black coach comes in, he's got a coach, this now forced, the integrated team that was forced to be integrated. And it's the story of the, the conflicts that they had in that integration, 
but the breakthroughs they also had. It's a powerful story. Like, I mean, really powerful story. And I, I, every time I see it, I get brought to tears. There's this moment where, so he takes, so I think the, the coach's name is Herman Boone. He decides they're going to go do, you know, a boot camp, you know, or whatever they call football camp prior to the season, somewhere totally like not around their town. They're going, they're going elsewhere. Um, so it's just them having to, you know, bond with one another and they're still fighting it out. Right. And there's a white captain and a black captain, or at least a white leader and a black leader. I can't remember if they were chosen as captains yet. And he, Herman Boone forces them to get to know each other. Uh, he forces them all to have their like at least 15 minute conversation, right. To get to know each other. And at some point, these captains have to get to know each other and they, they, you know, they yell it out, right. You know, you're not, you know, holding the white people accountable. You're not doing that. You know, they're yelling at each other about the ways that they each have fallen short. Well, the the next practice, what happens is one of the things that got brought up by the black captain was you let that white offensive lineman, you let him or whoever it was, you let him slide every time. You know he's letting people through to the running back was black to tackle him, to hit him up. You know he's letting them through and you do nothing. So in the next in the next practice, he the white captain decks that white player, like just decks him, right? And there's just like moment to pause, right? And he goes over, or maybe the black captain comes over and says, you know, strong side, weak side, or whatever they, you know, whatever words they use in football. And they have this moment of bonding where he then, or or maybe the next play is the black captain then tackles the black running back in a in a really hard way, right? And they're just showing that they're they're stepping up and they're holding their own groups accountable. And it's this moment where Things just change. The dynamics change. Anyways, why am I telling this whole story? It, it, it had a profound impact on me. They form a friendship to the end of time. It reminds me a lot of us, even though we didn't play football together. Um, uh, but I am a huge football fan and the Cowboys play at 345 and that's my team. Okay. So just, just be mindful of time, baby. We will be, be mindful of time. I, I spent all my Sundays watching the NFL. <laughs> my point is this, this, this was a very moving movie for me as a white person. And right? you told it in a moving manner. And that's cool. Listen, listen I went and checked. <laughs> I had to like, in thinking about this, I had to check. It was directed by an Israeli American. Mm -hmm. He created this piece that made an impact. I, I looked at Hotel Rwanda. Okay. Because it's another one that had a major impact. The director and co-writer of the script was an Irish American who went through the troubles, right? These are people who didn't experience either of these things, but each of them had some relationship, some way to touch the humanity of the story. And, and through that common humanity, we're able to tell it in a way that, and hopefully they, well, I know in the Hotel Rwanda, they, there was interviews with um, Mr. Um, I forget what his name is, the hotel. It had to be, this character played by Don Cheadle. Correct. Yeah. So I know that they gain context there. My, my, my point is, I just feel there is a way to touch each other's experience and channel that in a creative endeavor. 
in a way that that can be contextualized and that the people who are going to see that. I say it depends on the subject. It depends on the subject. Would you trust this Israeli American to make a movie about black on black love? No, because when when have you experienced black on black love? Never. What if a black American artist were to step up and create a memorial and uh, to Jewish Holocaust survivors here in the United States because they were so moved by the story? How did that wrestle and settle in your heart? Yeah, and so that's why, that's why, I mean, clearly I resonate with some of what Glenn Lowry and John McCorder said, because I, I shared something, you know, you asked me a similar kind of question in a previous conversation. So in, in reflecting on this, on this video, I, I asked myself an even more specific question. I asked, what if someone else who wasn't Jewish did the Schindler's List movie? Um, and I just, I, 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 I wouldn't care um, personally. Um, now Spielberg happens to be a pretty amazing director. So he did it in a very compelling way. And obviously he feels an ownership of that story. Um, and he's gone on to do many things since, um, in that area, recording actual people's stories. Right. Um, but if someone who wasn't Jewish created a kind of monument, you know, or a, an expression, a symbol to, uh, a, a, created a you know had a creative expression of the telling of 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 the story of the holocaust that was that was poignant and meaningful and captured the essence of um the the the, the feelings about it i i would just applaud the create i would just enjoy and appreciate the creation i honestly personally wouldn't think about um who the creator was which was kind of one of the questions they elevated right and that's you, but what about the Jewish community? I do think a good number of people would would feel the same way I would feel, which is some action, any you know, an action to to elevate the story by someone who's non-Jewish would be seen, would be appreciated because, um, you know, in some sense, in in some sense, you 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 kind of want non-Jews to elevate it, right? By the way, just so so we get to set the scene, I categorically disagree with you, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, and the reason you kind of want that is, is because you want people to take up the importance of your story. It's the same reason that the Black community might want allies. You know, it's the, for me, for me, where it comes from, you know, part of where, what what I see the value in is it relates to when you say, you know, where does responsibility lie? Responsibility lies very much in your mind with the white community. And so if if responsibility lies in the white community to, to push forward changes of attitudes um, and ultimately policies, um, what are the tools that they can and will and, and, and should use um, to to move forward change right um and one area is is the area of creativity and creative expression in fact that's some of the most impactful schindler's list made a difference because it was it was creative it wasn't someone getting up on a on a on a pedestal uh, at the at a podium and and just you know sermonizing right um it was it was something that 
through entertainment could capture people's hearts in a different way. So anyways, those are some of the thoughts that, 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 that I feel again, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I can't think of an example where I, where I would be able to know how people in the Jewish community would feel um, about someone who's non-Jewish doing something like the Schindler's list. But, um, but I know how I feel and my sense is some broad part of the community would feel similarly while some would critique. <laughs> so I disagree. I disagree with you. I personally feel that the Jewish community would feel a sense of ownership of that narrative and it's telling and the ways in which that telling is imparted to the world. So yeah. I think even though they could be a minority voice, although I don't believe they would be a minority voice, I think it'd be a loud minority voice of people who would say, if you're going to create some sort of moving memorial to Holocaust survivors living in the United States, which is the scenario that I presented, it needs yeah. to be done by a Jewish person. Uh, and because we need to tell and contextualize uh, our stories. Let's harken back to the original topic of discussion, the, Mon the Monda Harriet Tubman Monument in Philadelphia with such a public commission that is a huge opportunity for African-American artists to be recognized and known. And like I said, just the optics of the situation would bear, it would be nice for it to go to an African-American artist, especially since in that medium, and I say the medium of sculpture, that we have not necessarily been the most patronized or yep. taken up or or or, 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 or given that or given that uh, opportunity. So I, for me, I'm coming from the perspective of an opportunity, right, to really launch and catapult a person's career. So, two questions: If so, so to put. Put the opportunity aside for a moment because that seems to be a big, a big piece for you. And I understand that piece. So let's just put it, for, put it aside for a moment. If there was a process, let's say that this process, and again, I don't know what they did in Philadelphia, but let's say that this process was that people anonymously submit ideas for creations of this statue and that the people making the decision were some sort of well-rounded including ample participation from black members of Philadelphia um, had to come together and critique, discuss, decide on which one most represented what they wanted to get across about the story of Harriet Tubman. Right. Yeah. And, and that what struck people was one that was created by a white person. So I disagree. So I'm going to stop you right here because I already disagree with your premise when What's you the use the word anonymous because anonymous would not have been my process. Thank you for watching this episode of Healing Race and stay with us for a scene from our next video. If you want to see more conversations like the one you just watched, please subscribe to our channel, share this video with friends and family and like and comment on the video below. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, 
here's a scene from our next healing race. There is a point in time where, you know, in a, in a, in a empathetic way, in a patient way, even, I feel the need to say the past is the past. Yes, there are current, like you brought up the article, there are still people trying to spout these narratives about Jewish people, but we still live in a different world and we're not in the, we're not in the Holocaust right now. And I want to say, listen, I will, I will probably cry every time I tell my grandparents story. I'm not saying to get rid of your, you know, that you, we got to be these like unemotional people who don't feel connection to history and to story. But I also know that I, that I, at least in my own, in my own sense, in my own right. And for, and for, and for the rest of my Jewish community, I don't want to be stuck in that. I don't want us to be stuck. In people are walking into synagogues and shooting them up. You're still stuck in it. There are still shooting them up just because you're Jewish. True, true. But there, there is an importance in acknowledging the difference of degree, right? Like we're not in Egypt. We're not in Germany. These things still happen and there's still, there's still threats. I'm not going to disown that. Um, nor would I do it, of course, for the black community, because I'm not black, first of all, uh, so I don't experience it. But, but even in understanding some of the parallels, I, I, I I would never discount the threats that still exist. I do think that there still is validity to the the encouragement that I, I feel John McWhorter is trying to give of don't live in that space. I feel like that's what he's trying to say. Don't live in that space. Yeah, you know, at certain points come to remember that, you know, the way we were persecuted in Egypt, you know, Come to remember that, yes, but but don't have this be a a mantra that you carry around with yourself on a regular. And what basis. I'm saying is, at the same time, you go tell the bigot the same goddamn thing. Don't live in the space of hatred. Don't live in the space that Jews are your problem. Fine, I accept what you're trying to say. Say it, baby. But then you go tell that motherfucker the same goddamn thing, okay. and then there we go.